on the lights, turn up your radio, and enjoy today's theater of the minds. The Curse of the Mask, a true tale told from Glenn Thomas. I've always had an interest in the creepy and the macabre. My house is cluttered with strange collections like human teeth, creepy dolls, strange pieces of art done by serial killers, and the like. Now, I was always on the lookout for my next fascinating and freaky piece to add to my eclectic stockpile of oddities when I got a strange box shipped to my door. It was this hand-carved wooden mask. It was terrifying and a perfect item for my weird world. Nestled under the mask was a short note from my ex-girlfriend informing me she had bought this monstrosity while we were dating and wanted to surprise me with it for our anniversary, which, unfortunately, we never got to. She said she had no need for it and didn't know anyone else to give it to, so she wanted me to have it. Now, you have to admire her style. It was really weird and right up my alley. The details were beautifully carved into this hideous, demonic-looking face. It had long black hair that hung from it, and inside the mask were a series of patterns painted in, in these geometric designs I was not familiar with. Now, I would definitely have to do some research on this at some point to fully appreciate what I was now the proud owner of. I, I placed it on my shelf, dead center, between my creepy dolls and vampire hunting kit, and smiled to myself at how perfect it looked, and how well it seemed to fit in amongst the creepy clutter. Well, that night, as I was shutting off lights and heading to bed, I heard a loud crack come from my living room. I walked back in, flipped the switch, and there... Smack dab in the middle of the room was the mask, staring up at me from the carpet, the long fibers of the rug cradling it and giving a strange, eerie look to the mask, and an even stranger appearance with the shag poking through the eye holes looking like worms bursting forth from a decaying corpse. I picked up my new treasure off the ground, turned to put it back on the shelf, and as I turned toward the shelving unit, I heard the distinct sound of a male voice behind me call out, Hey! Now, I spun around, startled, and I found myself facing an empty room. I knew what I had heard, but could not find a source. Every hair on my neck and arms stood upright, in more alarm than fear. The voice hadn't been scary or menacing, just unexpected. I returned the mask to its new home and flicked the light off and headed toward the stairs, and my bed. I had obviously had a long day and was in desperate need of sleep. When I got to the top of the stairs, I heard a loud creak behind me, like someone stepped onto the bottom stair. I turned quickly and my knees went weak. I had to grab the handrails to steady myself. There, at the bottom of the stairs, was the outline of someone, medium build, thin, and wild hair. My voice eked out, barely audible. What do you want? What are you doing here? It just stood there, unmoving, staring up at me. 
its silhouetted frame backlit by the clock from the microwave in the kitchen. I, I couldn't see its face, and I was not close enough to, to the light switch to, to reach it to illuminate the hall and the stairway. I just stood there, breathing heavily, unsure what to do or what to say. I backed up slowly, the stairs creaking softly as I moved. My hand was extended behind me, searching for the light switch. The intruder stood silent and motionless. I was filled with dread and abject horror, but forced myself to turn away long enough to locate the switch and see who I was facing. Maybe, maybe by lighting up the area, I would gain some advantage. The light switch clicked, and the hallway was filled with light. My head spun quickly back to face my mystery guest, and when it did, there was no one there. Had he backed out of sight in the moment that it took for me to look away and find the light switch? Then... Then I felt what I can only describe as a hand brush mine on the light switch, and as quickly as it turned on, the lights were off again. I, I moved without thought swiftly back down the stairs, and I hit the light at the bottom and began charging from room to room, flipping every and any switch I could so that not a corner would be left in the dark. Somewhere along the line, I had dropped my cell phone and was now backed somewhat poorly into a corner where I stood. The only sound was my labored breathing and the ticking of the clock in the hall. I tried to focus my ears, straining to hear footsteps or, or anything giving me a possible location of my intruders. That's when I cried out. I, I'm going to leave. Take what you want and please leave. I, I, I won't call the cops. I, I don't want trouble. I, I just want to be left alone. That's when I made a break for the door where I made good on my promise and did not call the cops as I wasn't sure what had happened and was second-guessing myself as to what I had witnessed. I didn't know what to tell them for sure and, and did not want to embarrass myself if I had been mistaken about what had just happened. Now I waited a few hours and I returned. The house seemed untouched. Nothing inside had been moved or taken and I had somehow gotten the nerve up to walk through every possible place a person could hide, and I found nothing. There was no one there. I made my way back to my room, slowly climbed into bed, reassuring myself I had just imagined it all. I was tired, under a lot of stress in my personal and professional life, and I must have hallucinated the whole damn thing. I lay on my bed and rolled to my stomach, slid my arm under my pillow for extra support under my head, when I felt something, I sat upright and, and moved the pillow, and there, lying beneath it, was the mask from downstairs. Now, I thought I had put it back on the shelf before I came upstairs. Could I have mistaken and dragged it up here with me, maybe throwing it on the bed and not remembering? Now, I convinced myself this is what had to have happened. I threw the ugly thing to the nightstand and drifted off into the most restless sleep I'd ever experienced. My alarm bell rang and I groggily woke up, swung my legs to the floor and stood, preparing to make my way to the bathroom. I took my first step and took a hell of a stumble. My foot came to rest on the inside of the mask and it was curved just enough to send me falling to the ground and I felt the sickening crack of my forearm as I tried to catch myself. I let out a yelp of pain and anger for having been so clumsy. I rolled, clutching my arm, reeling in pain. I'd broken the damn thing. A perfect ending to a horrendous night. Now, things only got worse for the next week. On the way to the ER, I was broadsided and sustained a concussion. 
I got removed from a big and financially secure project at work and took a serious hit to my pay. Then, found my favorite furry friend had passed away in his sleep a week later. He was an old cat, but spry to the end, and it was a surprise. A dark cloud had descended onto my life, and I was confused as to why. It took a few more minor mishaps to make me realize all of this started the day I got that damn mask. I knew it was ridiculous to to even consider. Even though I loved the supernatural and the concepts behind it, I was not much of a believer. I didn't think this actually existed. But aside from all the bad luck I was having, I I, I kept waking to see that wild-haired menace lurking, dashing from my room, peeking around corners, slamming doors. I started looking into the mask, left a few voicemails for my ex to ask where she had gotten it, and I got no response. I checked a few message boards online and was directed to call a woman in New Orleans who knew all about this kind of stuff, and who better to call than a woman named Bloody Mary. I told her of my situation and about the mask, half expecting her to laugh at me or or hang up. She took it very seriously and professionally. She had me explain the mask in detail and the markings inside, and that's when she told me someone had passed on a cursed item to me. Something unearthly had been bound to it, and it was meant to do harm. I shook my head in disbelief and shock. Had my ex really cursed me? I mean, seriously, what the f- She told me to get sea salt, a cloth, and rope, and gave me some things to say and do. I placed the mask in the middle of the cloth, covered it in the salt, and then folded the cloth over it. Then used the rope to wrap around the cloth with the mask still inside. I said the incantation and took the package to the nearest bridge where I hurled it off the side. I went home, said some blessings in each room, and worked my way out to the front door where I insisted whatever was there had to leave. I stood there feeling somewhat foolish, but at the same time relieved. When the front door slammed violently, I jumped and let out a nervous laugh. (laughs) I never did hear from that ex again, or from my wild-haired, raving, shadowy roommate, and never may still not be long enough for me. This theater of the mind comes from the real experience of Joe Baker, all creatures great and small. In the summer of 1977, I was in LIT, a leader in training at a YMCA summer camp in Iowa. I had attended that Y camp since around 1967 as a camper, and I loved it so much, I decided to become a counselor as I got older and I aged out of the program. My summers there were magical. They were filled with fun, laughter, and making some lifelong friends. We would spend days making crafts, canoeing, shooting rifles, learning archery, and swimming. Oh yes, there was swimming, our refreshing escape from that summer heat. As a camper around 1970, our small group had gone for a canoe trip down the lake. We pulled into a nice alcove with a rope swing and decided to take a swim. As we climbed out of our canoes and dragged them into shore, we could hear the sound of excited splashing and playing in the lake on the other side of the little hill. So we decided to see what all the action was, in hopes that maybe there were some girls swimming there. We came up over the small hill and our group was stunned to see a huge, and I mean huge, hairy, ape-like creature splashing around in the lake playing like a like a small kid we stood there with a collective look of shock and confusion on our faces we had been warned enough about wildlife and to never try to encounter it 
So we slowly began backing up, as quietly as we could. Just the, the most subtle of sound of rocks crunching underneath our feet would give us away. But the gorilla man, as we would come to call him, seemed so wrapped up in his playtime that he never took notice of us. We made it our mission to return there every few days in hopes of seeing him again. We would even leave treats of apples, half-eaten PB&Js, and potato chips. When we would return, we would find all of those donations gone. Now, I'm fully aware that it could have been any number of wild animals that would eat the food, but we love to consider that it was just our playful pal. A few of the counselors would tell ghost stories at night, and once, when asked about monsters in the woods, they began telling us about a native creature. I don't recall what they called it at the time, but they perfectly described what we had seen, and that it was at that time one of the kids I had been with that day blurted out what we had witnessed and where. The next morning, we were cut off from our canoes and told in no uncertain terms that we were not allowed to visit that area again, by any means. It was safer to stay away as we most likely stumbled on a local bear colony and we could be in great danger. I'm no animal expert, but I know what I saw, and it wasn't a bear. Now, back to 1977 as an LIT, it was my duty to help create schedules and activities, games, and lead our group to our timed excursions, where most times the lead counselors would already be there setting up and preparing for our arrival. Today, we were going on a canoe trip. I got rather excited when we loaded into our canoes, and our leader began paddling toward the area I had visited all those years ago and had my encounter. We found the same spot by the rope swing and pulled our canoes to shore and set off for a short hike and a swim. I was very excited to be visiting that same area that had been so enigmatic to me and had been cut off to campers for so many years. The visit was uneventful. Until it wasn't. We returned to our canoes to begin our journey home when sploosh! A huge rock had come sailing overhead and hit the water with tremendous force. We all stopped what we were doing and looked around when we saw another overhead projectile headed our way. It hit the water well behind our canoes and let out again with another loud splash. We climbed quickly into our vessels and launched them to head home. Our group chattered like mad the whole ride back. It was a mixed bag of excitement, fear, and nervous energy. When we returned, our lead counselor said, Uh, guys, maybe we shouldn't go back there again. And that was that. Well... For him, I mean. I took the chance to row out there a few more times because I did know one thing. Bears do not throw rocks. Again, I returned and left treats and would sneak back whenever possible to check the area. And as before, the treats were always gone. After a few rock-free days, I set out for one last adventure. It was close to sunset and we weren't allowed on canoes or in the lake after nightfall. I had about 90 minutes of free time before our evening activities, so I made my way back to the rope swing and I climbed out, made my way over the rise, and opened my pack to leave some more food. As I made my way to a safe viewing area, I was alerted to the sound of something running toward the food, something fast and much smaller than the large creature I had witnessed. I turned to see what scavenger was making off with my donations, and there, crossing the ridge, was a short, alien-like creature. I stumbled back a few paces, the leaves beneath my feet crunching, and the, the thing stopped, turned its head in my direction, and paused. It looked at me, bent down, scooped up the treats, and took off running. And there, before my eyes, this thing began to grow. Huge and hairy. 
I was watching a surreal version of Darwin's Theory of Evolution chart in an animated live view. It went from a small, scrawny, hairless creature into a hulking behemoth in a matter of 50 or so yards. Then it dashed off into the woods for seclusion. I turned and ran as fast as my teenage legs would carry me back to the canoe, pushed off and paddled my ass back to camp. I was excited and terrified at the same time. I was bursting at the seams, wanting to tell someone of what had just had happened, but I thought better of it. I couldn't sleep that night as I lay in my bunk staring out into the darkness, trying to rationalize what I had seen. That's when I heard the footfalls of something large headed through the woods, heading my way. Perhaps just one of the neighboring counselors making his way back to his cabin from the communal outhouse. Then I heard the snorting, a loud snort and a, a sniffing noise. I recognized the sound from earlier that day. After that thing had transmogrified in front of me, it had stopped briefly and snorted the air like a predator trying to catch the scent of its prey. Then it strode out of the woods, walking directly toward my cabin with purpose. My heart was banging inside my chest like a jackhammer. I could barely breathe as it strode even closer to my cabin. I whimpered. Wanting to cry out, but I was unable to. That's when I had a strange sense of euphoria that washed over me. And I could swear a calming voice filled my head. A voice that reassured me that everything is fine. You're in no danger. The creature got very near my window and stared in through the screen at me. It then bent down and set something on the ground. It stood upright, snorted quietly, and gave me a strange grimace. I got the feeling that it was trying to smile. It turned and moved toward the woods, its heavy footfalls gradually getting lighter as I saw it revert back to its smaller, hairless form. As it entered the woods, there was what I can only describe as a flash of lightning followed by a thunder crack that shook our cabins and woke everyone with a start. Within moments, there was a deluge of rain and a loud mechanical humming sound filled the air. A hum that was gentle but louder than the rain itself and with another flash of light that seemed not to come from the clouds but rather from the ground toward the clouds. The hum was gone. We scrambled outside to shut every heavy wooden shuttered window we could to keep the cabin from being blasted from rain. When I got outside the window of my bunk, I found a rounded, twisted ball of sticks. I picked it up and finished my task of closing the shutters. I returned to the cabin and we all sat around excitedly talking about the storm and the ferocity of it. I eventually fell asleep, holding the twisted ball of sticks. That was 40 years ago. I still have my gift displayed on my shelf in the study. I cannot say what it was I saw, but I think a lot of people have it wrong. I don't think the things that we see are separate. I think that they, they may all be a race of shapeshifters that have been here for centuries and will be here long after we are. They're survivors. They adapt. They're magic and the creatures of folklore and fantasy. They are what they need to be to survive. We hope you're enjoying today's special presentation of Theater of the Mind. All of our favorite and bizarre stories collected in one long episode just for you. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if, say, you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Maybe take a nap? Read a book? 
or just show up for a friend. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're like me, you think, I can get through a lot. And we can. We're a resilient species. However, there are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. That's what I did with BetterHelp. When I reached that limit and I realized things were getting a little bit out of control, instead of taking it out on my family or taking it out on myself, I just decided to reach out and get the help that I deserve. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my darklings. Get BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com P60. Do that today. You're going to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash P60. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on, and if I can do this, you can do this. Let's do this together. BetterHelp.com slash P60. There's a link for it on today's program guide. Today's story comes from the real-life experience of Randy Bump. Nothing is quite as it seems. In the fall of 1989, I had had a long night of drinking and hanging out with my friends and decided driving was not in my best interest. I made my way around the noisy bar, saying my goodnights, exchanging handshakes, high fives, and hugs along the way. And when I finally crossed the gauntlet of drunken friends, neighbors, and coworkers, I reached the exit to the bar. When I pushed open the doors to the outside, I was met with a welcoming blast of fresh, cool air. And as the doors behind me closed, the sound of the party inside faded, and I set forth for my two-mile walk home. I had walked this lonely walk many more times than I care to admit, but it was the right thing to do, and I refused to get behind the wheel of my car in this condition. Now, when I say this condition, I want it made clear. I was enjoying a nice mellow, and there may or may not have been some slight staggering on my walk home, but I was not fall-down stupid drunk. I was in a place of ease and comfort. You should know that for what I'm about to share. As I plodded along what seemed like an endless stretch of dark highway before me, I turned my hazy gaze to the skies above me, thoroughly enjoying the expansive night sky. That was when I noticed something dark, long, and silent, hovering in the sky just ahead of me. It looked massive, maybe like a DC-10 in length, but it was triangle and hovered there silently. I kept my eyes fixed on the looming craft as I continued my journey. The mix of cool, fresh air and the slow but steadily increasing boost of adrenaline was rousing me from my inebriated state, and my fuzzy mind was becoming sharp and inquisitive as to what it was I was actually witnessing. The strange thing was that cars would whiz past me on this road, weary travelers seeking the safety of their homes, but no one seemed to be seeing what I was. Maybe they were too drunk or in just too big a hurry to cast their gaze towards the heavens, but I was enthralled. I noticed that as I got closer to the craft, the air was stale, 
not moving and thick and muggy where moments before and simply a few yards behind me there was a gentle cooling breeze then the road around me lit up like daylight it was as bright as high noon i shielded my eyes with my hands and tipped my head back to look for the source that the light was coming from it was blinding my eyes squinted against the harsh stark white light and my hand moved to shield some of that light in an ineffective attempt to get a better look at what was casting this light down on me when it got too intense i squeezed my eyes tightly closed head still tipped back but when i opened them again i was surprised to see that i was damn near home and the light was gone now you should know the place i stopped on the road to look upward to the light was still a good mile to maybe a mile and a quarter from my home now i was standing less than a few blocks away i hadn't moved it was just that fast i looked at my watch and to my irritation it had stopped at about 1:18 a.m i glanced back down the road towards my house and then turned to face the direction i had just come from i was puzzled i traveled a pretty good distance in the blink of an eye and had no memory of it one minute i'm standing in the middle of the road staring skyward and shielding my eyes from a bright, brilliant light the next second i'm a mile or so down the road i shook my head and headed towards home running the night's events through my mind fast then slow then focusing on the event on the road then i heard the noise of something moving behind me and closing in light footfalls on the pavement i turned to see who was heading my way at this rapid pace and to my utter disbelief it was a short figure huge head giant black orb-like eyes not almond shaped they were rounded black pools of weirdness and it was moving toward me with determination i yelled hey man back off and to my astonishment it stopped and like a confused puppy its head tilted to the side as if it was sad for having been spoke to so harshly then the light struck the road a few hundred yards back up the road from where i had just been and it began traveling silently but swiftly through the air there was a sound of rushing wind but nothing mechanical no engine just wind moving like a storm was blowing at breakneck speed my little friend looked toward the light then turned to face me again its face looked much less friendly this time and it put its head down and began to charge me the light falling in closely behind it i didn't know what to do but i did know i was ready to kick this little fella into next week if it kept running up on me it seemed like the closer he got the slower he moved the louder the roar of the wind i positioned myself to give this alien a hell of a kick and it looked up at me its mouth turned downward in a cross between pain and rage and i let go with my leg and at that exact moment the light hit me i was surrounded by the sound of crashing glass as my foot connected with the vase on my coffee table in my living room i had sent it flying and it hit the wall hard shattering into hundreds of pieces the light flickering on and off and my roommate came running down into the living room baseball bat in hand demanding to know what the hell just happened i turned and said i uh, i i don't know i i seriously i don't know a, a minute ago i was on the road down the block about about to give a swift kick to something charging me and the next thing i know my kick connected to the vase and i'm i'm in my dark living room he looked at me like i'd lost my damn mind and i heard him mutter as he turned away to go back to his room drunk idiot i stood there at a complete loss 
what the hell just happened to me? I eventually made my way to the bathroom and decided to take a quick hot shower, and as I pulled my shirt over my head, I was astonished to see a series of red dots forming a triangle on my chest. Blood trickled from one of the wounds. I lifted my finger to the bleeding hole and touched it. I was met with white, hot, blinding pain, and when I let out a scream of pain, I found myself sitting bolt upright in my bed. That's when I heard the violent thumping on my wall. Three loud bangs against the wall. I was terrified, unable to move. That's when I heard my roommate yell from the next room, Keep it down in there, Jesus! People are trying to sleep! I shook my head, reached to my chest, and found scabbed-over wounds that looked days old. I thought I was losing my mind. I laid down and closed my eyes, my mind whirling. And then as I began to fall asleep, I saw him, his face, those big round black eyes, and the turned down mouth opened, and from it a loud, ear-shattering noise that sounded like an alarm clock. My alarm clock. I opened my eyes and hit the snooze button. I looked at the clock and in amazement, it was 11 a.m. Two days later. We hope you're enjoying today's special presentation of Theater of the Mind, an unwanted gift. I don't know where to begin because I've always been keenly aware that I was different. I mean, yes, I'm I'm a goofy person by nature. I'm I'm a good storyteller and love to entertain and spread joy. But when I'm not, or wasn't being a goofball, I was growing up rough, critical, and all-around weird. Long story short, I had a rockier childhood than people would like to know about. The experiences, yes, those type of experiences, began young, as did the abuse. I thought it was just an imaginative kid, then teen, then maybe just an imaginative young adult, who is now turned into an adult. I couldn't keep dismissing my experiences. Of course, I entertained my creating these happenings due to the abuse and overall horrid upbringing. But, well, I've been checked out and <laughs> I've tried meds for depression and anxiety, yet still, things continue to happen. Once, when I came home from work, I was about 18 years old. No one was home. All the family was at work or school. Now, I resembled a much older Dora the Explorer but more awkward and less explorery. It's early in the day, so I decide to take a shower. I do my rounds as I warm the water for my bath. Quiet as ever. Perfect to take a relaxing 20-minute soak after making coffee for a-holes all morning. To be clear, I had three sisters, one mother, and two cats, all living in a two-bedroom home. This time was my precious. I stepped in, closed the big, heavy, ancient shower curtains, and begin my process. Not long after I do so, I felt something very strange start to well up inside of me. What the hell is this feeling? I know this feeling. What? Something's wrong. No, wait. I'm scared. I stopped what I was doing and turned off the water. I stood there like a wet rat covered in suds, hoping my luxury bath time was not being interrupted by one of my tribe. I listened. And for some reason, this feeling I mentioned earlier began to grow, almost paralyzing me. And then, swoosh, the shower curtain tears open, and I scream so loud and hard, my teeth vibrate. There was no one there. In terror, 
I stepped. No, fell out of the shower, grabbing my towel on the way down. This bathroom was small. No one was there. No one snuck in. The only window was above my head in the shower space and could not accommodate a person. Okay, maybe a Smeagol-sized person, but we weren't living in the Shire. So I knew, in an instant, I wasn't alone. I looked to the door and grabbed the handle. It was locked. I didn't lock it, nor would I. Being alone in the house with no sign of family coming home, I had hours before I would see the likes of them. I cried out, Please, let me go! And then the handle released. I trampled out, barely holding on to whatever I was grabbing as I was fleeing. I only had one thought in mind. Grab the phone and get the hell out of this place. Go to the neighbor's house and take it from there. As I stood outside, I looked into the apartment from the neighbor's front porch, a few feet away. I knew whatever it was finally got my attention. It was like it had been trying and trying, and it was going to be heard that very moment. And the energy that poured out of that tiny apartment was palpable. My mother calmed me down and gently reminded me to go inside before someone thinks I'm selling something that isn't for sale. I smiled uncomfortably as she stated this. You have a light inside you, Mia. A light that attracts these things to you. To us. Wait, what? Is this where she tells me that I have a brother named Dean and we're going to have to fight some demons together? <laughs> no, sadly, no. She just went on to tell me how we have a gift and we need to share it. Use it for good and never, never let them run you out of your home again. I wish I had time to go into the again part, but alas, that's a story for another day. Black-Eyed Hybrid Conundrum, a real-life encounter shared by Dre Fordham on Theater of the Mind. My mom and I had been chatting about the topic of ghosts. During our chat, I brought up the phenomenon of black-eyed kids. She'd not heard of them, so I gave her the details that we'd been learning about as a paranormal community. She said that this B.E.K. thing sounded a lot like a story my dad, Chuck, had told her. My dad died when I was only 19. He was known to be a strange guy with strange events happening to him. I enjoyed the stories, and he's mostly the reason I grew up with as much of an open mind as I have. My dad continues to be the most confusing human I'd ever met, but I never doubted the things that he told me. My mom said that he shared a story with her that happened to him when he was 14 in the year 1941. He said that day he was in town and saw three boys picking on a dog and being mean to it. Now, my dad loved animals more than humans and risked our lives in the car many times to avoid hitting even a raccoon. So he went up against the boys and did a pretty good job for himself and the dog as he brawled with the boys. And the dog went home with him. Later that evening, he was home alone and he heard the doorknob on the front door turning. Back then, doors were not locked in homes like they are today. He started for the front, thinking it was his parents returning. But as he got in view of the door, he saw the hand of a kid, not an adult. As the door was open for only a few inches, he assumed it was the boys from earlier that day, seeking revenge for messing with them. He marched to the door, flinging it open again to confront the boys. But as he opened it, he saw that these were three different boys. They were looking behind them and down the path. 
even the one that had been opening the door. He said he didn't recognize him at all. The closest boy bent down to tie his shoe and at that same time asked if they could come inside. At this age, my dad lived in Daniel Boone's home in Pennsylvania. It's now a museum called Daniel Boone's Homestead, but at the time the property needed work and my dad and his parents lived on site as caretakers while the location was being restored. The home comes with lots of land and it was strange for wandering others to just come down this long driveway. So my dad asked them why they were here. The boy tied his other shoe and said that they got turned around and were new to the location and did not know which way was back to town. As the closest boy stood up, he looked at my dad, and he saw that their eyes were black, all black. My dad told my mom that it was at this moment he knew that these things were aliens. My dad had a few encounters before this that he considered extraterrestrial, and a few he thought that were possible abductions. So this, I imagine, is what made him come to the conclusion that these were, in fact, aliens. He said he told them they could not come in, but he felt dizzy, not very strong. He said the boys stood there, looking at him. As he reached to close the door, he said the door seemed very heavy and much larger than it really was. Then, the first boy stepped over the threshold of the doorframe, and my dad became very faint. He said he backed away as the other two boys also entered the house. He also said that at that moment the first boy stepped into the house, it felt like gravity was leaving the whole home. He said he was not sure how he knew it was the whole home losing gravity, but he just knew it. He said he kept looking at the boys, but started falling very slowly. He figured the slow motion descent was because of the lack of gravity. During his fall, the boys came to his side and wanted his feet, but they seemed like they were level with him as if he were on a table. But he could tell he was on the floor of his own home. As he started to panic, he lost consciousness. During his blackout, he found himself driving a car in Hong Kong. He knew it was himself, but an older version of himself. He was still American, but visiting Hong Kong. He was stopped in traffic because everyone was looking to the sky. He also looked out his front window and saw a large fireball of fire flying across the horizon, so low that he thought it was going to take out some of the buildings. But the fireball continued without causing any damage and left everyone shocked at what they had seen. My dad said when he opened his eyes, he was on his couch, and he could hear the boys leaving and shutting the door behind them. He said during this vision, he never once thought about the boys that had entered his house. As a related event, one of the stories my dad told me was about a time in his early 20s and he was in New York City in traffic when he saw, along with many others, a huge fireball streaking low across the sky. Evidently, later, he learned that many others in Hong Kong had seen the same thing during that time. What my dad was obsessed with was the direction the fireball was flying. It would have had to turn to make it to Hong Kong. He said meteors... Meteors don't turn. I have no idea how he knew others in Hong Kong saw this, and I've not done research on it to prove it, but I have no idea why my dad never included the tie-in to the black-eyed kids. My mom said that he never mentioned that the kids were dressed odd or old-time. Maybe they were dressed as we hear about them now, in 1940s attire. 
So then it, it wouldn't have been so odd. If I had to trust what my dad said and speculate, I think this could be what happened. They did abduct him, and he was on the ship, but they made it look like his home. This could be the answer to why gravity felt as though it were leaving, and maybe anyone who's come in contact with the black-eyed kids just think they were able to resist, because that's what they want you to remember. And maybe my dad was just able to hold on to a little bit of the truth. Ron Smaltz shares his real-life story, my friend Seth, on today's Theater of the Mind. Up until a few weeks ago, I thought I was going crazy after having had an experience when I was a kid. I've been so stressed by this for over 30 years, worried that I was a complete mental case. But after hearing a similar story on your show recently, I felt compelled to share my tale. I had a friend in grade school. We'll call him Seth. Seth was a good friend, but very peculiar. He always seemed to be a bit uh, off. I guess that's the best way to describe him. His parents were very protective. It was hard to get close to him because of that. They seemed cold, aloof, and unwilling to let their son have a normal childhood. No sports, no parties, no sleepovers. But that changed one night. We had hung around, mostly at school, because as I pointed out, he wasn't allowed to do much else. His 13th birthday was approaching and we talked about celebrating. He seemed hesitant, but you could see in his eyes how much he wanted to. Seth was just certain that his parents wouldn't allow him to do it. I asked if he was part of one of those weird religions where they didn't celebrate birthdays and holidays. He would just shrug and say, I guess so. And I always left it at that. To our surprise, his parents invited me over for dinner and TV. I decided to go and try to help my friend have a fun birthday. It was November of 1988, and shortly after I arrived, the snow began to fall, and fall hard. We had dinner, spent some time in his room talking and hanging out and watched some TV. By this time, the snow had built up pretty good and was turning out to be a full-on blizzard. You could barely see five feet out of the window. It was a classic whiteout. Seth begged his parents to let me spend the night. At first, they declined and assured me they would get me home safely when the snow let up. But the snow... The snow had other plans. That storm kept up and showed no signs of relenting. I heard his parents debating the idea of allowing the sleepover. They kept going to the picture window, looking up to the skies and just shaking their head in disbelief. At this point, I overheard them say, Travel would be dangerous. Yeah, I agree. And with that, they decided to let me spend the night and called my parents. All the while, they kept looking to the sky. Their faces almost looked tortured. Were they that concerned about the snow? The sleepover? Or something else? At this point, Seth's dad draped an arm over his wife's shoulder and said, It's so bad out there. They'll never get through. This'll be fine. It'll all be fine. Nothing very eventful happened for the rest of the night. Well, for the rest of the night until after midnight, that is. We had settled in for the night. I borrowed a pair of PJs from Seth and taught him the fine art of making a blanket tent in his room, and we were off to sleep. At some point, I woke to an intense light filling Seth's room, light streaming in from the windows. It poured through the cracks in our makeshift tent, and I noticed my friend was nowhere to be found. 
I assumed he had headed off to the bathroom, and I laid there squinting, partially shielding my eyes from the glare. I mean, come on, what was with this light? I noticed at that point, my hearing was off. Everything sounded slow, like the ticking of the clock on the hall wall. My breath, and even when I spoke, I called out to Seth, and my voice, it sounded distorted. Seth, where are you, man? I rolled over and started crawling toward the opening of our tent and felt like every movement was in slow motion, like I was slogging through quicksand to move. My body was slow, my mind raced, I realized I was terrified. I couldn't understand what was happening. I finally made my way to the bedroom door and threw it open. It too moved in slow motion. More light poured through the door. I couldn't make sense of this. It, it had to be a dream. That's when I saw his parents standing silently in the hall, side by side. I was now in full-blown panic mode. What was happening? The parents began to flicker. I know it sounds crazy, but it looked like a picture on an old TV trying to be tuned in. They flickered in and out. The intense light surrounded them. And that's when his parents turned slowly to face me, the light burning my eyes as I tried to look at them. Where is Seth? What's happening? I cried out. His parents continued to flicker, and I saw what looked like another image that was revealed between flickers. Small figures, huge heads. It was as if they were trying to hide, being cloaked by the image of his parents. I thought I was losing my mind. I, I closed my eyes tight and began whimpering. Then came a very loud humming sound. It shook the house. I could hear glasses and plates, pictures on the walls and cabinets rattling. And then there was silence. I opened my eyes. I was in my room. At home. Still in the PJs I had borrowed from Seth. I ran downstairs, asked my parents what was going on. And they were quite shocked to see me come from up in my room. They thought I was miles away at Seth's house. I tried to tell them what happened. My folks, bless their hearts, just dismissed it and said I must have been sleepwalking and come home. With that, they called over to Seth's house. But the phone just rang and rang. No answer. No answering machine. It just rang. I knew there was no way I had walked all that way in my sleep in the blizzard. Holy shit, I thought. The blizzard. My bed would have been soaked, and there would have to be footprints leading up to our house in that heavy, deep snow. I ran to the window, pulled hard on the string that raised my blinds. They clattered as they shot up, and I peered out my window. There were no tracks. My bed was dry. I was dry and warm. I knew I never walked home, but I'll be damned to explain how I got home. As if that wasn't weird enough, Seth never came back to school. His dad got transferred to a job in Ohio, and the family reportedly moved immediately. I never heard back from him again. Using social media and technology, I looked everywhere for Seth online a few years ago, and I couldn't find a trace of him. He had an unusual name, and I couldn't find anybody with that name anywhere, ever. 
Thank you for letting me get this off my chest and unburden my mind on something that has tortured me for years. I feel for the very first time like a heavy weight has been lifted from me. I'm resigned to believe I had an alien encounter, maybe hybrid. And after writing this all out, I went outside, looked to the skies, and I whispered, Seth, wherever you are, man, I hope you're safe. Innovation, creation, vitality, and joy are the pulse of MySoulTopia.com with many custom creations for the mind, body, and spirit along with classes, intuitive sessions, coaching, and healing energies. MySoulTopia.com strives to bring sophistication with a twist to the metaphysical and the holistic market while raising the community's vibration and channeling the new paradigm which means new and exciting adventures for all. MySoulTopia.com is utopia for your soul. Visit MySoulTopia.com, your one-stop shop for all your metaphysical needs. Offering hand-selected crystals and crystal jewelry with prices to fit every budget. MySoulTopia.com offers the best selections of tarot and divination cards by top designers expertly curated and award-winning book collections from top authors on every subject you'll need on your spiritual journey. My Soultopia is also proud to offer the finest singing bowls and an eclectic collection of the most amazing gemstones, crystals, and crystal jewelry from the top metaphysical designers in the world. MySoulTopia.com is always your one-stop shop for award-winning mixes of Florida water, sage spray, and other spiritual protection. So begin your journey with the best resource, MySoulTopia.com. That's MySoulTopia.com. Why mess with the rest when you can start with the best? MySoulTopia.com. Again, that's M-Y-S-O-U-L. T-O-P-I-A dot com. Theater of the Mind. After a life of parochial schooling, I had a falling out with religion, church, and my faith. It no longer suited me, and I found it silly, and nothing more than old superstitions cobbled together as a money-making scheme for churches. I never considered myself a bad person, certainly no worse than anyone else I knew. Like many, I was often selfish and not nearly as neighborly or caring as I could be. I had moved into my neighborhood when I was 27 and never once had a word with any of my neighbors besides a simple nod of the head in passing. Then, everything I knew changed on a summer day, a few months after I turned 45. I was out mowing my lawn when I felt my stomach start to sour. A strange sensation in my chest, and I immediately regretted that gas station burritos I had scarfed down for lunch. The heat was getting to me, and I cut off the lawnmower to take a sip of water. Then it hit me like a thunderous punch from Mike Tyson, square in the chest. My mouth dropped open into a silent scream, and my vision began to flicker. I could hear the sounds of the neighborhood, kids playing, dogs barking, people mowing their own lawns. Then it was silent. All I could hear was the offbeat rhythm of my own heartbeat, pulsing in my ears, throbbing, throbbing, throbbing. Then the lights went out, and I collapsed. I remember feeling like I was laying on my parents' water bend when I was a child. Then slowly, light started to flicker once more, 
and I could hear voices. Oh, oh, he's here. Finally, he's here. Then I could see bright light, and set against it was the stark silhouettes of people. Voices sounded familiar but distant, calling my name. I began to feel lighter, floating, and my vision slowly began to return to me. And I could see a mass of people smiling, waving. Some appeared to be crying. And when I realized that, I I began to feel a sense of dread and fear come over me. Their smiling faces gave way to somber looks. I felt like I was in a large freight elevator looking out at the crowd. And then the bottom dropped out. And I heard what I thought was my mother sobbing as I fell. Through the darkness, terror growing inside me. I, I was so confused, so scared. I fell for what felt like ten minutes. Just imagine, the scariest drop from the roller coaster you've ever been on, only it kept going and going and going. Then my body stopped with a jerking motion. I had the sensation of chains wrapped around my wrists and ankles, suspending me above something. I could feel heat, but not like any heat I had ever felt before. I felt it coming at me like waves of heat you see coming off the road ahead on a hot day. The chains, heavy and dense, jangled loudly whenever I tried to move. The blackness around me seemed alive, moving like something from a horror movie. I could hear slithering, but could see nothing. The chains biting into my hands and ankles with every move. Then, the cacophony of screams below me erupted. Slow at first, then it seemed to be coming at me from every angle. Men, women, children, and something animal and very angry. This wailing filled my head and I begged for it to stop. I hung there for days and days. The screams would ebb and then return with a vengeance. My head pounded every muscle in my naked body, screaming out for relief. The darkness all around gave me the most horrific sense of isolation. Even surrounded by voices and screams, I felt so alone, so cold inside while sweating and burning on the outside. Then, the slithering sounds began again, and I could sense something striking at me, like long claws. They would often miss, and I could feel the rush of air from unseen claws, then spasms of pain as they would find their target. Then joyous, dark laughter would bellow from below me. I was going insane. I would cry out but make no sound. I struggled against the chains that would not give. This went on without mercy for weeks. My mind was dissolving into madness. I had a life review, if you can call it that. As I lay there, suspended and aching, I kept trying to rationalize what was happening to me. But the more I did, the more fruitless it seemed. Was this hell? Was I dead? Was this really hell? An actual hell? I tried to remember any stupid prayer from childhood, but couldn't. Instead, I would just remember every hateful thing, every nasty word I spoke, and every person I ever lashed out at. I would feel their sadness, all of it, from all of them, all at once. It was devastating. Then I felt the blows to my chest, and what I could only describe as lightning strikes appearing before my eyes. With every brilliant stroke of light, I could see the faces that surrounded me locked in horror, mouths agape, screaming, eyes gone or dark and sinister, staring at me with such hate and contempt. The wailing of the voices was everywhere again. Flash! 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 The lights would streak around the room, lighting up more horrors with every flash! 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 I felt the claws swiping at me, the growls from below sounding more angered than ever before. I would feel my flesh tear and my mind screamed in agony as the lights would flash and the pounding from inside my chest grew more intense. 
I hung my head and stopped resisting the bonds of the chains. And in my head I cried out, I'm sorry, so sorry. Please, God, let this end. Then there was silence. There was nothing. Then, as fast as I had fallen, I began to feel myself flying at an inconceivable speed upwards. The cries below began, but sounded hollow and millions of miles away. I realized the chains were gone from my ankles and wrists, and the lightning started again, but I couldn't see anything. Just sharp white light that hurt my eyes, and the electric crackle sound it left ringing in my ears. Then, there was a face before me. The last flash of white light, and I could see someone or something standing before me. That's when I heard a gentle voice say, It's not too late. And all went black. I could feel my body. I could hear background noises filtering in. I could hear voices calling my name, begging me to come back. Then I heard the words, Clear! And my body jumped as something hit my chest and filled me with electricity. My eyes sprang open and the pain came crashing through. I was laying in my yard surrounded by neighbors and police and EMTs feverishly working on me. I looked up and I saw the face of the portly little EMT working so hard to bring me back. He leaned down and said, I thought I lost you. Glad you didn't give up. You were gone for about three to five minutes there before we started working on you. What? Three to five minutes? How is that possible? I languished for what I knew was weeks on end, being tormented, screamed at, and torn to pieces slowly. Eternity means something more to me now, I'll tell you that. I lived the pain of everyone I ever hurt. It felt like forever. Now... Sometimes at night when I lay there unable to sleep, I can hear the screams of torment. I can feel the claws trying to grab me, but I always come back to the soft voice that said, It's not too late. God, I hope not. Without warning, a real-life story from Len Tower. This has troubled me for over 60 years, so thank you for the opportunity to finally let it go. I was a reporter for the Whittier Daily News, a Southern California city about 18 miles east of Los Angeles. My best friend, Pat, was a talented news photographer. It was in a time when any reporter loved the job. Typewriters, a back warehouse type room with the clacking linotype machines and the melted lead composing every line hearing the massive power of the press as the newsprint rolled endlessly, a ribbon of white traced on an unbroken path. It was an honor to write for a newspaper in those days before everyone got a byline. Bylines had to be earned by exceptional research and writing. National stories came in on machines from United Press International or Associated Press. In those days, before President Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Fridays were busy. Day assignments included police and sheriff stations, city hall, or a feature interview, usually celebrating a local Eagle Scout. Nights after a day of covering a range of assignments, Pat and I would cover a featured local high school football game. He would masterfully capture the game action on photo. I'd take notes and write the accompanying story once we returned to the newspaper office. One particular night... Pat and I got something to eat at the Oak Room at a hotel near the newspaper office, then hopped in Pat's semi-reliable Chevy Corvair to cover a game southwest of town. 
I don't remember the date, although somehow California high school sounds a familiar sight all these years later. It wasn't the game that memorable night. It was what happened as we drove to the game that still haunts me. Pat was driving. It was sprinkling lightly and it was dark. As Pat drove through an underdeveloped area near an oil field, his headlights illuminated something. What happened next only took a matter of seconds. This man had apparently been hiding in the roadside ditch, waiting. Without warning, he jumped out of the right ditch and ran directly towards Pat's car. I saw he was dressed in a white t-shirt and blue jeans. It happened. Only seconds, but I remember. I don't know if Pat saw the details I believe I saw. He was, after all, driving. The point of impact was going to be exactly between us. We didn't have time to brace for an impact, nor was Pat able to stop in time. As I saw this young man race in front of the car, I noticed he was either laughing or was that just an evil smile? And the falling light rain outlined him. The rain itself never touched him. He was dry, somehow protected from the weather. At the point when impact would have certainly occurred, the running 18 to 20 year old dark haired young man still smiling vanished. We felt nothing. No impact, no feeling of anything passing through the car. I hadn't a chance to say a word. Pat didn't even have a chance to slow down or steer to avoid the impact. I know Pat saw something. I don't know if he saw the same thing I did. As we passed the likely impact point, I said, Oh, what was that? I distinctly remember Pat asking, Should I stop? I quickly looked behind us, out the small rear window. There was nothing but wet, dark asphalt divided by a white line. Why? I replied to Pat. There's nothing back there. We went on and covered the game. Back at the newspaper late that night, Pat went to his upstairs darkroom to develop his film. I tallied the usual statistics and wrote the game's story. But I didn't write a word about what happened that night. Or any time until today. I don't think we ever even talked about it again. But it's always been there. Hiding in my memory. All these years.